Hello and welcome to the Global Cosmetics News Podcast. Today we'll be talking about the move towards a carbon-neutral circular economy. And first, it's my pleasure to introduce our panellists who, due to the coronavirus outbreak, are all joining us by phone. We have Amajit Sahota, founder and president at Ecovia Intelligence, Richard Kirkman, Chief Technology and Innovation Officer at Veolia, and Christopher Davis, Director of Sustainability at The Body Shop. So to start off, we've touched on sustainability across several of these podcasts, and we've seen big promises from all the majors. Under ordinary circumstances, I'd be asking whether the industry is being ambitious enough, but in light of the coronavirus pandemic, is it still a priority? Amajit, would you like to start us off? Well, uh, what we've seen from previous experience, sustainability is becoming more and more important. But unfortunately, when you face a crisis like this, unfortunately, it drops in the corporate agenda. We saw the similar thing happen in 2008, 2009, where a lot of companies had sustainability programs. They invested a lot in terms of reducing their impacts and setting up sustainable sourcing programs. Then what happens is it becomes... um, must have to something which we would like to have, like a luxury. So unfortunately, what we expect to see is that sustainability is going to drop on the corporate agenda because companies are going to look at survival, they're going to look at look more at the bottom line and to see how they can keep their customer base uh, during this very challenging business environment, which we're expected to see. And Christopher? I hope uh, we maintain a focus on you know, a more sustainable world. We've hit a, clearly a massive humanitarian crisis right now. But if we think about it in the context of the, the, the things that we're expecting to occur, if, if climate change continues to n- not be addressed and, and the challenges in, within society, you know, unequal society, continue to um, accelerate, then the crisis that we're seeing today will in some ways be comparable to the crisis that we'll see if we don't address these environmental societal challenges. So my hope is that through enlightened leadership, this might actually be a bit of a wake-up call. It is a crisis, but it's a crisis that we're going to have to get used to facing unless we all take action and address the systemic challenges that the world faces. So hopefully sense will prevail and sustainability will continue to not be seen as an added extra businesses but uh, part of everyday life. And on that note has the changes that we've seen completely due to the coronavirus so far for example air pollution dropping has that been a wake-up call for us? Um, It's something that none of our efforts to date have achieved however ambitious they sounded at the time. Have we really embraced all things sustainability or have we thus far been paying it lip service (coughs) and in fact do we need to do a lot more? The fascinating the fascinating challenge I think for, for all of us is how does a system adopt to this new reality? And the conversations that we've been having here at the body shop are, given, given effectively the, the system has collapsed in many ways, how do we shift our business to ensure that we react to that and, 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 and respond to that? And it's raising, yeah, it's raising many, many different questions, many, many different debates. Uh, and, and also, I think, opportunities as well, because for a business to survive right now, it's got to be socially useful. It's got to be socially relevant. And, and, and so how does a brand like the Body Shop or even other brands on the call ensure that everything that we're doing is, is, is of social use 
um, at these times of, of crisis and beyond. So it's, it's a fascinating crossroads um, that we're all at and that we all need to, to uh, react to, most certainly. Amateurs? We expect to see a drop in carbon emissions because economic output is declined. Um, China has been one of the big polluters. And I think uh, there was a study just a couple of weeks ago showing how there was a drastic drop in carbon emissions and in- increase in terms of air quality in China directly because of this crisis. So um, I think we should not just look at it single faceted and say, well, it's good for sustainability because, you know, people, a lot of people have died, tens of thousands of people. But also the wider issue here is um, I think we, what we need to realize is that sustainability covers various different facets. So the discussion at the moment is about, you know, carbon emissions. It's about water footprint. It's about resource management. But I think what's going to happen as a result of this crisis, we're going to see more corporate philanthropy and we're going to see more social issues being addressed. And just to give an example, yesterday, the founder of Alibaba, he's going to donate 1.1 million testing kits, 6 million masks to Africa. So we're going to see more and more of this corporate philanthropy, which is not going to be just environmental issues. We're going to see more corporate philanthropy because, you know, parts of the world are going to suffer. Africa, parts of Asia, Latin America. And sustainability doesn't mean just addressing environmental issues. It means addressing things like social inequality, where people can't have access to water, drinking water, and they can't access to, say, testing kits if they've got a virus. Who's leading the march um, in the sustainability efforts thus far? Is it coming from suppliers mainly or brands? Is it luxury or mass? Um, Let's start with Amajit. Well, you know, we, we see two um, two types of companies which are leading. First, it's the retailers. Uh, Walmart, famously, about 10 years ago, um, they decided that they wanted to reduce their environmental impact. And they shook up their whole supply chains, whereby they put pressure on them, saying that if you want to sell, continue to sell through our retailer, you need to provide transparency in terms of your raw materials. You need to be more, give us more disclosure in the way your products are made and, and how they're made. So one pressure has been from retailers, and the second has been from the brands. We've seen brands like L'Oreal, Unilever, P&G uh, making bold commitments to reduce the environmental impact while increasing their business. And an example is Unilever. They've, they've made an announcement as part of their sustainable living plan that they want to reduce the environmental impact by half while expanding their business by 2030. So we see the retailers and the brands which are really driving the march, and that has a knock-on effect in terms of the raw material suppliers, the packaging companies, etc. Richard? We've seen a huge change in the past 12, 18 months, um, engagement with the whole supply chain. So, you know, local authorities, consumers, but particularly manufacturers and producers of materials, there, there weren't a huge number visiting our part of the supply chain, which is the reprocessing, recovery and reprocessing, recycling of material back around the loop. And no one had really engaged with us to the extent they are now. Just in the past um, 18 months, we've had over a thousand uh, technical and sustainability people come to our sites to really try and understand what happens to these materials at end of life and how can they be designed differently from the onset. And that's the real change in approach you know, whilst we've had um, eco-design legislation in the ether for many, many years, 
uh, a lot of these products haven't really taken it into account fully and now they're starting to and we're starting to see real change. And Christopher? I think we're seeing some change, but the, the right question to ask, I think, is is it just focused on incremental shifts? Uh, my, my sense is most businesses are just being a little less bad, but not good. Um, they, they are making some progress, but they're basing most of the improvements against the current baseline, which is not very good, and it's not working in general towards societal or planetary needs. So whilst we could all confidently pat ourselves on the back and say, yes, it's going in the right direction, uh, the, the right question to ask might be, is it going fast enough? Uh, and, and for many of us, I think the argument is absolutely not. And on that note, should our goal be a circular economy? Um, let's talk through what that would actually entail from ingredients, packaging and product perspective. Christopher, what are your thoughts on that? Yes, I, 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 I think we have no choice. Uh, absolutely no choice. But to move towards a circular economy very quickly. Um, within the next 10 years, I, I, I would wonder. But it's tricky. You know, a lot of the business decision makers have built a wonderful career based on a, the principle of a linear approach, you know, make and dispose, and shifting that to a, a make and reuse is, is, is going to be very difficult. It, it requires the um, reshaping, the rebuilding of business models. Um, and for many companies, it, it, it's going to be a tricky one, but I think you're absolutely right. <coughs> Circular is the only way forward. Amajit? I would agree. Circular economy is the way forward. Um, but there's two issues there. The first issue is um, I don't think we've got the technology or the materials yet for a circular economy. Um, you know, we're all aware of the plastic pollution um, issue. We're seeing some good innovation there in terms of using plant-based materials for packaging. We're seeing the loop platform. But I think there's still a very big issue in terms of how to move to a circular economy where you've got a closed system and nutrients and well raw materials of personal care products as well as the packaging um, can really be as part of a closed system. And the second point there is when we look at a circular economy, it's really looking at the environmental impact. And again, sustainability is not just about environmental issues, it's the social issues too. So I think circular economy is part of the solution, but we need to also address the social impact of products, whether it's raw material sourcing, whether it's HR policies, whether it's your local community, what are brands actually doing to address their social impact? So I think circular economy is a part of that discussion, but also taking a more of a holistic view to look at the wider issues uh, when a brand or a cosmetics company, when they produce their products, who are they working with and how those workers or partners are being treated. And Richard? Yeah, I, I think a circular economy is a really important part of the overall vision of where we need to go. And it's more a case of how do we do it than um, should we do it. You know, it's recognised that we should, but how do we get there equitably? And there's a lot coming through in terms of extended producer responsibility in the UK to try and bring that about. But rather than decide what system we need, it's just put in, put in place the conditions where everyone is competing on a level playing field to have the minimum impact. And that, that means pricing in pollution. 
you know, carbon emissions and positive materials into oceans. We just need to price that in so that when people buy things, when consumers buy things, they're paying the full cost of the cleanup and any pollution that's caused. And then, and then business can do its job of optimising that and reducing it down to make sure that human activity has the least impact. And that would push prevention, it would push reef, it would make refill more viable where it's not commercially viable today and also enable more recycling to take place. So it would attack all parts of the waste hierarchy. So Richard, are you essentially saying that post-consumer should be the concern of the manufacturer? Uh, should beauty brands be better at facilitating the reduce, reuse, recycle, renew mantra? Well, I think, you know, when you buy something today, and this is for anything you buy, you, you pay for the labour, the materials and all the effort and the energy and the water that's gone into making it, but you don't pay for what happens to it after. You you, you, throw, you know, generally you put it out into your uh, refuse container if it's not a recyclable item, um, and then that will be paid for by the local authority through general taxation. And the, the local authorities don't have the ability to change the design. So no one can therefore optimise and make that system better. So if you move to a pay-as-you-buy system where when you buy something, you pay for the full life cycle cost of that item, um, its environmental, its social impact, any impact it has, then you start to get better decision-making. Um, but you have to apply that to everybody because if a company decides to do that, not everybody will decide to buy from them. Some people will. And that's what's currently going on with the resources and waste strategy. Um, there is a system being designed by by DEFRA, which will result in an extended producer responsibility for packaging. Amajit? Okay, so the question is, is post-consumer our concern? I, I think there is a growing realisation by brands that they need to take more responsibility to change consumer behaviour. Um, one example there is rinse off products, shampoos, soaps, shower gels. The highest environmental impact of those products in terms of carbon emissions is at the consumer phase. It's over 95%. So the highest percentage is when consumers use those products. It's the amount of hot water they use and how long they have the tap on or how long they have a shower. And related to that as well, you know, if you look at the current climate, um, look how consumers are behaving. They're stockpiling soap, they're stockpiling hand sanitizers, cleaning wipes. So I think, you know, we really need to do something about encouraging consumers to act responsibly, not just the, work, the products that they buy, but how they use them as well. And, that, and I think the brands need to start taking more notice of that and they need to take more responsibility to encourage um, responsible consumer behavior. And Christopher? For the body shop, I think the, there is an appreciation that custodianship of uh, packaging, once a consumer has used it, is, is, is a key driver of our thinking now. So we incentivize returns to the store. And we have tested and are about to roll out a new refill program um, around the world uh, to drastically reduce actually the amount of um, materials that, that are being used. I think one of, one of the challenges is going to be how do you shift consumer behaviour into this make and waste philosophy becoming extinct. And, and, and that's going to be, that's a challenge I think for, for con, consumer brands and one that we, we need to work on uh, and explore moving forward. But certainly accept custodianship, accept that you have a responsibility for when your product is used uh, and what happens to the packaging is, 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 is a critical thing for all companies moving forward. 
Uh, are you able to elaborate further on your refill program? Is is it going to be refills sold um, as sort of pouches or refilled in store? Refills of pouches is one of the most astonishing things I think we've seen in the last few years when companies are selling non-recyclable pouch refills, um, which which has always astonished me. I won't name any brands, but some spring to mind. So no, it, it's not focused on that. It is focused on creating packaging made of infinitely recycled metal and offering customers uh, refill. Um, initially, we tested the concept in a uh, store in London, <laughs> and now it's rolling out, um, we hope, to hundreds of stores this year, or certainly was before the uh, challenges that we are facing, but we're still optimistic that we'll be able to get it out uh, across the world um, over the coming the coming months. But I, I, it's important to add. I think it's you know it's an experiment. We the Body Shop pioneered the idea of refills many years ago. There were a number of reasons why we ceased doing it, but starting it again so far, customers have responded really well. So we're confident it's going to be a uh, both a profitable. Um, opportunity for the company, but certainly also a great opportunity to begin our journey of of, of being a waste-free business by 2030. Let's talk a little bit about the consequences for the industry if we get the sustainability thing wrong. Um, We've already seen a a move towards minimalism on the part of consumer trends. Uh, Could it be argued that beauty needs to shape up to stay relevant? Richard, why don't you start us off with that? Well, in terms of the consequences for business of, of not going down this route, well, I think, you know, it will be legislation that, that bites eventually because governments will have to act as the impacts of people take over in society and start to have significant costs. You know, I've already seen some of the costs of, of climate change happening in the UK with the flooding, and that's only going to accelerate and that it, it impacts other countries you know, they will take action as well. So the the consequences will will be that you'll be too late to the game to catch up and change your model. So that's why people are trying to act now, I think. Amajit? Yeah, I I think um, brands need to be a lot more honest. I think uh, gone are the days when brands were just preoccupied with increasing product sales at whatever cost. Uh, The days of buy two, get one free, I think, are over. Brands are realizing that consumers are a lot more information savvy, that they don't really want to get so much product, but it's better to have a high-quality product. Um, And, and you know, some of the brands are already moving in that direction. In Germany, you've got some niche brands, natural cosmetic brands. One is called Less is More, and their whole message is you don't need to use so much product you don't need to stockpile so much say cosmetic products in your home it's better to have less and use it more wisely and another brand which is giving a message is stop the water while using me they've just been acquired by beerstorff about six weeks ago and again the message is don't use so much water while you brush your teeth or while you have a shower so so the industry is already moving in that direction but unfortunately it tends to be just the small the messages are just by the small brands at the moment and i think it's going to take time before it's ad- adopted by the bigger brands and before it really gains some momentum and christopher it comes back down to the consumer shift doesn't it? i mean how um how quickly can we get uh, consumers to move and, and use products in a different way i, I guess the one the interesting exception is of course um, where 
countries in the world or cities in the world are already experiencing um, the very real life of, of, of climate change. So even the, the past summers, we've seen water shortages across Australia, across Brazil, and, and in many countries in, in the world. I think companies who can respond to that and to the point just made produce uh, products that don't require water or you know, are waterless, as Anita Roddick, our founder, created many, many years ago. Um, those are the companies who are going to start to win and, 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 and start to become more and more relevant actors as we face bigger challenges moving forward. But yeah, consumer behaviour and the consumer shift is going to be a, a fascinating story to watch. And on that note, what about supply chain resilience? What should the industry be doing more to build their resilient supply chains? Amajit, over to you. Um, this is a really interesting question. Uh, you know, you know, just without making reference of the current situation we're in, uh, you know, it just shows you how global supply chains are for raw materials and for packaging. And uh, just to give an example, in Italy, the epicenter of the whole crisis at the moment is Lombardy, where they've got so many cosmetic companies. So uh, supply chains are global, and during time of crisis or natural disaster, we all get affected, whether it's, you know, from honey from Australian bushfires or maybe it's palm oil from Southeast Asia or, you know, packaging raw materials from China. You know, global supply chains are now global. What happens in one part of the world affects another. And uh, I, I really don't know what the solution is going to be. You know, we can't deglobalize the world. The world has become far more interconnected in terms of raw materials, in terms of production processes, just-in-time management, etc. I think... Um, in times of crisis or disaster, it just shows you how vulnerable supply chains are. And um, I don't really see a way forward. We've, we've got interconnected society. We've got global supply chains. The way forward would not be to disconnect them and to have more regional production. Unfortunately, we're just going to have to live with global supply chains and we're going to have to see how vulnerable they are to the shocks that we're currently seeing. And Richard? Yeah, just trying to sort of combine that with the previous um, point about changing consumer behaviour. You know, I think, first of all, we haven't really got time to completely change consumer behaviour at a rate that we might want to. If I, if I think about how long it's taken us to get people to put the right things in the right bins in their home, that's been a 20-year journey from people not doing recycling to now being interested in if they're doing it right or not. And it's been a real cultural shift that's taken a long time. And, you know, changing people's behavior does take a long time. You can change a few people's. You can get a few people to be interested in sustainable products. But getting everyone to do it is very, very difficult. And there'll always be a, a large proportion of people that, that are happy to go and buy the cheapest product. So I do think that we need to have governments acting to, to make sure that things are priced the right way to get the right decisions from consumers because people do act on price and they do move uh, and that means sustainable companies will be able to will be able to succeed otherwise um, they will lose market share to those doing it not the best way um, and then just in, so in terms of supply chains that that for me means you know why aren't people buying more recycled content very few products uh, say how much recycled content they have and the ones that do it, it's really used heavily for marketing but i think 
why shouldn't all products contain some recycled content? Why shouldn't we? Why aren't we putting materials around in a loop if that is saving energy and water? Uh, and that seems a really important step in terms of supply chain security of material. You know, the coronavirus exposed um, some real challenges around the concept of globalization, hasn't it? And, and, and our assumption that this high carbon economy operating um, across multitudes of countries works without any interruption has, has, has clearly been um, shaken up, not to mention the human costs and the environmental challenges, you know, the impact it's had on many businesses has been extreme. I, I, I wonder, actually, counter to the, the point just made, whether or not that will see a shake-up in global supply chains to protect business more effectively. Will we start to, to see more local manufacturing? Will we start to see more regional manufacturing? So such shocks to the system, as we've seen in, 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 in the last weeks, are insulated from businesses. This, it, I, I think it's important to note, this isn't the, the, the last time we're going to have shocks like this. Maybe it won't be the coronavirus. Maybe it won't be something that's hurting humans. Maybe it will be something associated to climate change or conflict. But global supply chains will need to be able to respond to these, these, these issues. It didn't come from nowhere what's happened. Uh, it, it, it is a shock. But it's something that was was expected. Experts have said this will come at some point, and therefore I think businesses now will start to look at what they can do to better protect themselves in the future. And manufacturing itself, I mean, is carbon neutral, net zero, the goal? Um, with governments increasingly committing to this, is it even a choice anymore, um, or, or is local more desirable? Christopher, the floor's yours. Yeah, absolutely. You're right. It has to be a goal. Um, whether taxation or social or personal responsibility drives decision makers. I think, you know, a, a net zero economy is where the world needs to be within the next 10 years. Um, and that is something that the body shop is working to. And I'm sure many other companies are also working to. But no, we, we have no choice. This is what needs to, to happen. Uh, businesses like ours need to work closely with suppliers uh, to make that happen and to accelerate it as rapidly as we can. Amajit? I think carbon neutral, net zero should be a goal, but I think we shouldn't look at it in isolation because technically it's, it's quite easy for a company to become carbon neutral because you could offset a lot of your carbon emissions by setting up some tree planting programs, reforestation, etc. I think we need to look at wider issues and sustainability. So yes, the government can give a directive, but there's things like plastic pollution, there's biodiversity, ethical sourcing, um, you know, in terms of raw materials, but also the social issues, as I said before. So I think um, carbon neutral is a part of the solution, but it should not be just considered as the solution. And Richard? Yeah, I think I would agree with that statement that you know it's not the only thing it's really important for you know planetary success so it's quite a big one to tick we've got 30 years to get there and we we have to achieve 50 percent of that in the first uh, 10 years or we don't make it uh, biodiversity and plastics in the ocean incredibly important too most other things are priced in i just think that you know based on being in the environmental sector for 20 years things get done when you price them in because then business acts and not everybody acts otherwise. So some people will, but we really need a system change, a system that works, 
so that, that the business can solve it. And what about retail? Do retailers have a part to play in this? Should they be planning refill stations in every supermarket? Should delivery style services be following Loop's model? Amajet, what do you think? Uh, retailers definitely, uh, they've got a very important role because retailers are consumer facing. So they're the ones who typically get the message across, uh, even though nowadays consumers are, you know, they're going to the internet, they're looking at their mobile devices more. But still, most of us do our weekly shop in the retailers, whether it's for food, for personal care products, cosmetics, etc. So retailers have a very important role, um, one in terms of communication, but also in terms of providing an outlet where if we're going to move to, say, a circular economy, then we're going to need refill stations or we're going to need waste boxes, like, for example, TerraCycle in the USA. Before they launched the Loop platform, they used to have these waste disposable boxes where you could just drop off your waste packaging for your cosmetics, for your beauty products, skincare products, etc. So I think retailers have a very important role. And also, going back to what I said before, the Walmart effect, if retailers want to become more sustainable, there's only a very small percentage of products that they sell under their private label. The majority, they're selling branded products, so they have to put pressure on brands to become more sustainable, whether it's transparency, disclosure, or in terms of the way they make the products and the raw materials they use. And Richard? Well, I, I think it's the same, isn't it? Retailers are reacting um, in a very quickly changing market um, and they want you know if you, if you look at some of the big retailers now they're looking at removing non-recyclable packaging from their from their lines they're looking at having plastic free aisles i think you know we just need to be sure that these are providing the minimum impacts on society because i you know I, it's easy to jump around in very quick timelines and remove some materials but is that actually giving the best environmental output and christopher yeah, I mean, certainly uh, from the body shop's perspective, as a retailer with 3,000 stores across the world, we see ourselves as having a major role to, to play. Okay, we may not be the biggest retailer in the world, but we, we are one of the loudest. And so as well as ensuring that the products we we create and the formulas that we create are used sourcing the right natural ingredients, sourced through our community trade suppliers manufactured and, 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 and um, packaged responsibly and, and, and ultimately sustainably. I think we have a, a, a big role of, of sharing um, what we do with our customers to inspire them to make the sustainable choices. And, 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 and the ability that we have with our store staff to talk and to, to share the stories with, with consumers is going to be critical because it, it, you know, ultimately it's going to be consumer demand that drives this. It's all about us all changing our mindset to inspire people to shop from the good guys and, 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 and to avoid the bad ones. And if we can start doing that and getting that message across, I think we will accelerate our journey um, to deliver what the planet needs rather than just simply what capitalism is, is wanting us to produce. So yeah, retail has a key role. And to finish up, uh, what would you expect sustainability in the beauty industry to look like in the short term, say 2025, and longer term, say 2050? Should we learn the lessons of recent weeks and uh, switch to necessity mindset? Richard, what's your forecast? Well, I think there will be a lot of change. There will be a lot more refill. Uh, you know, that, that's 
certainly coming. And I think there'll be much better choices made over how things are packaged. I think I'd like to think that we will mature in terms of our thoughts about it. There's been a lot of knee-jerk reactions changing to products that are worse in their life cycle. Um, and, you know, we've not solved problems yet by, you know, for example, using refillable water bottles. We see so many refillable water bottles coming through our recycling lines. I do question how many people are buying a year. So I think just maturing the solutions to make sure we do have the best outcomes and that everybody makes those better choices will be where we need to try and get to. Christopher? I think we are going to find ourselves at a fascinating crossroads as we leave these troubled times. Some some things will shift and and some things that we we may expect to shift will stay the same. I guess my, my hope is that by 2025, we will see businesses creating uh, clear business strategies uh, based on planetary and societal needs rather than incremental shifts. I think that is the, the one critical element that is missing from plans today, taking that outside-in approach, taking that science-based approach. Uh, if, if we start to see that, then we're in business and, and, and hopefully the beauty industry can start being a leading sector in this area. It's frightening, I think, when we people talk about 2050 as being a, a target goal for sustainable business or a target for, for uh, zero carbon, because by then it's way too late. We have to uh, act fast and we have to, have to uh, act quickly based on what the world needs. So that would be my hope of what I would love to see. And last, Amajit. Okay, so what would you expect sustainability in the beauty industry to look like in 2025? I think the key message for, for me was is that the industry needs to adapt because a lot of the issues which are relevant today or up until today, like carbon neutral, RSPO, single-use plastic, I don't think they're even going to be that important in a year's time, let alone in five years' time. Uh, you know, just to repeat some of the stuff that we've talked about, we're at the beginning of an economic and social crisis. And I think brands need to start taking a more holistic view and not just environmental issues, but corporate philanthropy, but also addressing social issues. And just to give an example, to finish with an example, Walida, it's a Swiss-based brand and natural cosmetics. And what they've done is they always adapt in terms of what they're doing in terms of sustainability. And since 2015, they've been giving refugees from Syria jobs in their German plant. They've been retraining them and giving them work. And they actually got an award, Diversity Wins, for that program. And I think that's a good example in terms of brands adapting. It's not just looking at single issues, but we need to be more holistic. And we need to look at corporate philanthropy, but also the social issues as well. So that's what I would like to see, more adaptation in the coming years. Thank you. I'd like to thank everyone for taking part today. Thank you, Amajit. Thank you, Richard and Christopher. And thank you to our audience for listening. Until next time.